Hello, friends. So glad we can be joining together again in this online liturgy. As today, I'd like for us to focus on metamorphosis, transformation. Those are kind of evocative terms, aren't they? I mean, they might bring to mind for you the transformation of a caterpillar into a butterfly, of a tadpole into a frog. Or perhaps it brings to mind for you the transformation, the metamorphosis of some of the ancient Greek myths. Remember the story of the Pleiades? They were the seven daughters of the Titan Atlas, who Zeus transformed into seven stars in the sky near the constellation Taurus. Transformation. So it's kind of interesting that one author put it this way. The Christian faith, Christianity, is not a religion of information. Rather, it's a relationship with Jesus that results in transformation. It's not a religion of information. It's a relationship that results in transformation. A promise of transformation. I mean, really, don't we all want transformation in some area of our lives? I think most of us long for it in some way. So how do we experience transformation? Well, to answer that question today and in the coming weeks, we're moving into a new teaching series that we've called Transformed, in which we're returning together to the book of Romans, specifically to Romans chapter 12. Now, in this past year before COVID, we were already working our way through studying the book of Romans together with the plan that finally we would come to Romans 12 right now in September. But along with many other things, COVID messed up our preaching schedule. So we haven't yet studied Romans 9 to 11 together. And so we're going to come back to those chapters later in this year. But now we want to jump into Romans 12 because Romans 12 just seems so fitting for us in identifying and reminding both where we're heading in this year and also how we walk through this life. So let's hear together. Turn with me, if you have your Bible or Bible app with you, to Romans chapter 12. And as we hear it, friends, remember this. This is a word of God. Paul writes in verse 1, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed. The Greek word there is metamorpho. Guess what English word we get from that? Be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good, and acceptable and perfect. Okay, right at the start, I want you to just note, maybe underline that word therefore in in verse one, because the English translation that I'm reading from has a slightly different word order than what you would find in the original Greek writing of Romans chapter 12. Because in the original Greek, the opening word, the first word of Romans 12 is therefore. And whenever you come to the word therefore in scripture, do you remember what you're supposed to ask? What is it there for? Meaning, okay, Paul is saying at the start of Romans 12, in light of all that I've said thus far in this letter, let me now say how we therefore are to live and be transformed. 
because this letter to the Romans has all been leading up to what Paul is about to say here. So we should ask then, okay, again, what has Paul been saying in Romans 1 to 11? Let's just do a quick review for us in this. And and remember this, the message of Romans 1 to 11, really you could say, the message of the Christian faith is that Jesus Christ is our deliverer. He delivers anyone who believes in him from darkness into the light of life with him now. And we will reign with Christ in his eternal kingdom. Okay, so what does that deliverance look like? Paul in Romans, he gives a striking metaphor of slavery to help us understand it. This is back in Romans 6. Listen to how he puts it in verse 22. But now that you've been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification. That's being transformed into Christ-likeness. And its end, eternal life. Okay, so that's what Paul has been saying in the first 11 chapters of, of Romans here. Through faith in Christ, we who were slaves of sin, who were facing an eternity apart from God, have become, by God's grace, slaves of righteousness, slaves of God, with an eternal hope he gives us. So that now in this life, you live and walk by the power of the Holy Spirit of God who indwells you. Okay, so that is the good news. That's the mercies of God that Paul has been explaining for us in the first 11 chapters of this book. And all of that really leads Paul to open chapter 12 then with, therefore. Okay, in light of the incredible realities of life with Jesus, this is how we're to live transformationally. Here are some of the first principles of life with Christ. So Paul, you could say, he's given something of a Christian manifesto on living the Christian life. So Paul, having laid out so much about the truth of God's grace in Romans 1 to 11, now in Romans 12, he begins to flesh out for us how to live that grace in daily life. And there are really, in these two verses, there are four words or terms that Paul uses in these profound verses that will really help us walk through this passage. There are four key words, really, we need to understand to help us unpack all that Paul is going to say in Romans 12. All right, four words. And the first word or concept is this. It's mercy. Mercy. Look what Paul says in verse 1, back in Romans 12. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God. So understand this. The foundation of Christian living is God's mercy. The starting point of the Christian faith and life is God's mercy. So Paul's exhorting us to obedience to God because of what God has already done for us. And again, this is vital for us to understand at the outset or else we'll mishear what he's saying. Because the Christian life, he has been saying, is not God saying to you, okay, do this, and then you can live? Rather, it is God saying to us, I've given you life in Christ. You have new life. Therefore, in light of that reality, therefore do this. Paul wants you to understand that 
all his calls to obedience that we'll be walking through in this passage, they need to be set against the backdrop of what God has already done for you. Or else, really, you'll be entirely confused by all this. You'll misunderstand it. Because Paul is saying, God has already shown you his mercy in Christ. I mean, you have that. You have that secure. You have his love, grace, care, Holy Spirit. So in light of his mercy, give yourself as a living sacrifice. It's the first thing Paul is saying in this verse. And that really leads us to the second term or concept, which is this in Romans 12. Let's call it nonconformity. Where do we see that? Well, look at what Paul says. This is in verse 2. Paul says, do not be conformed to this world. One paraphrase of this verse puts it this way. Don't let the world squeeze you into its mold. In other words, Paul is calling us to really, we could say, a godly nonconformity in life. And by that, he doesn't mean nonconformity for the sake of just some mere political agenda. No. Paul is talking about a godly nonconformity. He's talking about your life now being based on divine norms, not ruled by the culture around you. You're not guided primarily by the mores of the society we live in. Rather, you, in your living, you have God's will as the guide for your heart and your mind and your behavior. It's God's will that guides you. And Paul is just so clear on this in his writings that if, if we are truly following the guidance of God in the will of Christ, we will in life feel like we're pushing and living against many attitudes and patterns and priorities of our day that are really viewed as a norm around us. So it will feel, Paul essentially is saying, it will feel like you're often going against the flow and pattern of your day. Don't be surprised by that. And one of those patterns you'll be moving against is in regard to worship, which is the third word I want for us to highlight in this Romans 12 passage. There's mercy, then there's nonconformity, and then worship. Look at how Paul puts it. This is in the middle of verse 1. Present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Now, that word spiritual in the original Greek, it's kind of an intriguing word. It's a Greek word, logikos. It's the word from which we get our word logical. So Paul is saying here, presenting your whole being to God is, as some English translations put it, that is your logical, it's your reasonable, it, that's your rational step of worship. I mean, in other words, presenting your body to God as a living sacrifice makes perfect logical sense in light of who God is and what he's accomplished for you. Which again, is everything Paul's been talking about in the first 11 chapters. Okay, so a significant question then is, Okay, so who or what do you worship? And how do you know that's what you worship? Some would put it this way. Well, actually, you are worshiping whatever you are giving your primary attention to, abilities to, and affection to. You are worshiping whatever you're giving your primary attention to, affection to, and abilities to. 
Okay, so if, if that's the case, then it'd be true that some of us worship our careers. I mean, you worship your career and you're living for that job. Or we could recognize that some of us are worshiping making money. Maybe you're worshiping retirement in some sense. Some of us are worshiping pleasure. Others maybe are worshiping sex. Some of us are worshiping another person who, who so dominates your life that your total attention and affection and ability goes to that person. Okay, now let me suggest something. The greatest temptation in your life and the most damaging sin we can commit is the temptation to worship something other than God. Now, you might respond to that and say, well, that's not my struggle. Actually, uh, yeah, it is. And it's my struggle, too. In, in fact, we read this back in the book of Exodus, which licks the Ten Commandments God gave to his people. Listen to the first commandment again. This is Exodus 20, verse 3. You shall have no other gods before me. First commandment. And, and it's first because it's our number one problem in life because it is the root behind every other one of your and my problems. I mean, when I love comfort more than doing the right thing before God, it gets me into trouble. When I love protecting my ego more than honoring God, I'm going to go down the right, wrong path in this life. When I love my reputation or when I love money or when I love pleasure, when I love anything more than God, it'll create havoc in my life. I mean, we all worship something. We all do as we walk through this life. So again, who or what do you worship? You see, there's this problem. I mean, the problem is that it's possible for people to claim to worship and treasure one God, while in fact, in their hearts and lives, they're actually devoted to another. It's possible. It's possible for you and me to join in worship and, and say or sing with that great hymn, all to Jesus I surrender. I, I surrender all. I, everything I have, everything I can, everything I am, I give to Jesus. It's possible for us to say that, for us to say that when the truth is, I don't really want God to have everything in my life. He can have a lot of it, but not everything. And when we realize that about ourselves, that indicates there is something or someone else we are worshiping. We're not putting our lives fully before God. And understand, this was a very common theme that was addressed in Scripture. In fact, God had put it this way to his people through the prophet Isaiah. Listen to how he expressed it through Isaiah. This is in Isaiah 29, 13. And God said this, This people draw near with their mouth, they honor me with their lips, while their hearts, what they truly worship and treasure, are far from me. Again, this is right at the core of what it means to worship as a way of life. So again, a question that you and I need to answer is, how do you know what you truly worship? How do you know? And really, I think we get another significant hint on that by looking at the patterns of worship that God gave the Jewish people in the Old Testament. 
Because Paul is really saying that the answer to the question of who we are truly worshiping, it can be found in a single word. And it's really the fourth word then that Paul also uses in our passage in Romans 12. There's mercy, we want to understand nonconformity, worship, and then the fourth word is this, it's sacrifice. Because whatever we treasure, whatever we worship, we sacrifice for. I mean, for example, you treasure having a certain type of body, then you'll sacrifice for that. I mean, you treasure a certain level of achievement above all else, you will sacrifice for that in your life. You, you treasure having a certain amount of money or security, you'll sacrifice for it. Now, those things aren't necessarily bad to have as goals or priorities, but the problem is when they become the overarching priority for us in life. Because what you worship, what you treasure above all else with your life, not just with your lips, but actually with your life, is that which you are willing to sacrifice everything for in order to cling to it. It's that for which you constantly make sacrifices in your daily life. Because understand this, sacrifice is the language of worship. Sacrifice is the language of love. Okay, so a question that I've been reflecting on that now is a question for you to reflect on is simply this. What is it that you ultimately sacrifice for? In your life, what is it that you ultimately sacrifice for? So with that in mind, here's the guidance again, the way Paul gives it in Romans 12, verse 1. He says this, Present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. So Paul's not calling to sacrifice our lives in an attempt to earn God's favor, love, or forgiveness. Again, like with the sacrifices in the Old Testament, he's not like that. No, we have God's favor and forgiveness fully only through faith in Christ. But rather, Paul calls us to offer our lives, offer your life as an expression of the ultimate priority of God in your life. You know how we use that phrase at times? Maybe we've said it around here at times. Give your heart to Jesus. You know that phrase? Well, it's almost like Paul is saying, don't give, just give Jesus your heart. He wants more than that. He, he wants all of you. And, and notice this. A couple of points about this first. First of all, Paul uses the word present, meaning I want you to present, I want you to offer your body to God. Now understand, the word that we translate as present there, actually it's a technical term that's based back in what was done in the Old Testament, in the Old Covenant. Because to present an offering, it referred to that moment when you placed a sacrificial object on the altar because once you put, once you presented that sacrifice on the altar, it wasn't coming back off. It wasn't yours anymore. It belonged to God at that moment. It was out of your hands. So Paul is saying, I want you to do that with your lives. Present your bodies, present your whole self as a sacrifice that's living, which is an odd phrase when you think about it, a living sacrifice. Again, in the Old Testament system, of course, the sacrifices, they were dead. And 
Here was part of that deal. A dead sacrifice, it stayed on the altar, right? It, it stayed put. That's how it worked. But imagine what a living sacrifice does. A living sacrifice knows what's coming. A living sacrifice would be very tempted to say, uh, I think I'm going to get down now. So part of what Paul is saying in Romans 12 is the sacrifice of your life and my life, it must happen again and again, every day. Every morning you get up and you face the question, am I going to stay on the altar today or am I going to jump back down? Because know this, the world around you will call you to jump off the altar. It will woo you to that end. But Paul calls us to say, okay, God, Father, I will place my will, my struggle with my sin, I will place my possessions, my finances, my desires, my relationships, I put them all on the altar. They're not mine anymore, Lord. I'll regard my life this day as a living sacrifice offered up to you as my expression of worship. So, what does that look like in your daily life? What does that living that way look like? I mean, it's not just going around singing hymns at your office. So what does it look like? Okay, let's consider one of the core elements of what this looks like. How it's lived out in life. Because the Apostle Paul talks about this in other letters and places. For example, he puts it this way. This is in Colossians 3. Colossians 3.23. And if you have it before there, will you read this along with me? Let's say it together. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. Whatever you do, that means anything, work at it heartily. That means just without all your heart, as though you're working for the Lord, not for a man or woman who's above you. Meaning, friends, you don't have to join a monastery to worship God more fully in your life. I mean, some of you might hear this and be pulled to think, okay, you know what? If my number one purpose is to get to know and love God, then I should have a devotional time with God three hours a day. No, you can do that. You don't have to do that. Well, then, you know, maybe I need to just come to church every day of the week. No, you're welcome here, certainly, but you don't have to do that either. It's not about that. Rather, one step would be you need to change who you're working for. Because when you change who you're working for, your work, your study, it becomes worship. That's why Martin Luther put it this way many centuries ago. A dairymaid can milk cows to the glory of God. Because in life, it's not what you do that is most crucial. It's who you're doing it for. If you do your work for God, all of your work will be turned into worship. So you say, okay, I'm going to do this as though I'm doing it for you, Father. You might be a carpenter, cleaner. You might be an attorney. You might be a nurse. You might be a stay-at-home mom caring for your kids. You might be an executive or a manager or a salesperson or a teacher. You might be a police officer. You might be a truck driver. It really doesn't matter what you do. 
It's who you do it for. So if you're good at cooking, you have the attitude, okay, Father, I'm going to make this meal, whether it's for my family or for a restaurant, as if I'm doing it for you. If you're good at filing and organizing, Father, I'm going to file these things away as if I'm doing it for you. And that turns your work into worship. And, and then you're worshiping God 24 hours a day. Not just in worship services, not just in online liturgies. Because God doesn't want our worship just to be a church thing. He wants it to be your whole life, to worship God with your life. Okay, so hear Paul's words again. Let me read those verses again. This time, let me read it from the message translation. Here's what Paul says, Romans 12.1. So here's what I want you to do. God helping you. Take your everyday, ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work, and walking around life, and place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for him. Friends, this is where the rubber meets the road. Because the deepest worship doesn't happen primarily in a church building. It doesn't happen primarily in a small group. It doesn't even happen primarily in your personal devotional time when you're praying or, or reading God's word. The most profound worship happens in just the ordinary, mundane, routine things of real life where you go, Father, I'm doing this work for you. So what if we all decided today, what if we said, okay, Father, Monday morning, I'm going to get up and I'm going to go back to school or work, and it's the same old work I've been doing for three years or ten years or whatever. But this time, I'm going back with a new boss. I'm going back to do it for you. And friends, honestly, that's the kind of worship in which God is glorified. And if we live that way, if you do that, you will, as Paul says in verse 2, be transformed by the renewal of your mind. So can I pray to that end? Will you bow your heads with me as I pray? And just before I pray, can I prompt you with those two questions we often ask around here? Just ask, what is God saying to me? What is God saying to me? And then secondly, what am I going to do about it? Is there a step you need to take, or a promise you need to hold on to? What am I going to do about it? Oh, our gracious Father, would you help us to take and live the theology of this passage? Would you guide us in living out the reality that all of our life, every part of it, we live before you? And we pray truly through this week as we go up by the hundreds of thousands, Father, we would bring you glory in the way we live day by day. And we thank you in this, that you are with us and your spirit empowers us. And for that, we give you thanksgiving. And all God's people say, amen. So glad we could be joined together, friends. Hope you can join us next week as we dig deeper into this beautiful passage of Romans 12. And as you walk into whatever this week does hold for you,
Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of his Holy Spirit this week, you may abound in hope. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.